This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. My Natural Hair is a podcast that shares all the information you're looking to learn about natural hair, the movement, the styles, growing your hair naturally, and meeting other people part of the natural hair culture and movement. My Natural Hair is hosted by LaDonna Sims and Markeisha St. Clair from Hair Goals 313. Collectively, LaDonna and Markeisha have over 25 years of experience doing natural hair. Black Coffee is a podcast hosted by Kari Frazier and Frida Sampson Weekly. Weekly, Frida and Kari welcome guests to discuss the rich history of Black leadership, entrepreneurship, artistry, and social justice. Tune in weekly to the Piper Carter Podcast with Piper Carter for a conscious take on music, arts, politics, and fashion. The founder of We Found Hip Hop has a say on what you should know about culture with a balanced conscience. The Detroit is Different Podcast is about exposing artistry, business, ideas, and dynamic people, places, and things that make Detroit a mecca. Tune in weekly and subscribe to get the true stories from the people shaping the culture of an American classic city. You're listening to the Piper Carter Podcast on the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Oh, see, Lord, legal royalty, bars in every sentence. Get off my pretty wings, I have habitual indifference. My mind's too advanced, I do mathematics with letters. That's why my iron bit contaminator is way better. Still inside of Shakur, my whole couture. What other rappers' metaphors serve as semaphores? Vocabs too advanced to be autocorrected. Alpha rapper of the alphabet's been resurrected. And scrabble boards on face. Running on these tracks like Florence Griffith on the chase. One limb explodes like Florence Griffith in the race. It takes less than two when I'm robbing on this base. Huh. See, I'm easy rocking. Be easy with this E like I'm straight out of Compton. One project away like I'm straight out of Tonkin. Legal eagles fly or die. These other birds are just mocking. Brain pin pad. Both before lips. These other female rappers out here talking with their hips. These misguided gangsters out here talking with their clips. While these devils copyright, grab the cash and then they dip. They try to stack us up and slay boats that don't float. Penitentiaries surrounded by a moat. It's mental. You can tie a lion with a rope and he'll stay right there if he murder all his hope. But I got the antidote that will free any slaves and make runaway masters back in the days. And that turn away every day. That's the doctrine. I show them off my legs when I'm dressed down in stockings. Now convince me your life matters when their violence starts to move in the counterclockwise pattern. They hypnotize with a lot of total minds, confuse their hearts, their power will die. Gentrify their art, gentrify their block and their parts. Then protest beside them, this is all such a farce. Next we'll turn them into Mother Nature's bastards. That way they won't survive when we start coming out blasting. Have them boost their melanin, tell them mass in fashion. Take their edge and their edges, have them sow those tracks in. If they sow what they will reap, it'd be hard to wake them up once they put them to sleep. Y'all like rappers that keep you stupid Who aren't brave enough to lose their life over music Scared to teach you righteous cause they scared to be poor Maybe cowards die York Peace and welcome back to the Piper Carter Podcast We had a week off um, Just to give some reverence And honor to our very, very, very beloved brother Comic Kool-Aid Who passed last week um, From his journey with uh cancer and he is and will always be an important part of um Detroit is different um Detroit 
Um, and I think it's um, really important to just give him some honor and reflection and acknowledgement. He went to Northwestern High School, as did I. We graduated together in 1990. Kari Frazier, who owns Detroit is Different, also went to Detroit uh, Northwestern Public High School and is the president of the Alumni Association, good friends with Kool-Aid. A lot of great, amazing people um, gave him shout-outs. I want to say um, Charlemagne the God, um, Lil Duval, who he had been a tour with, and a lot of different celebrities gave him a lot of honor and praise. He really um, was a shining part of the comedy scene here in Detroit. He had put in a lot of work, helped bring up a lot of people, and um, just want to give him lots of love and appreciation. So that's a life... Well-lived, very much missed, and um, thank you for allowing us to have as much time as we did here on Earth and want to just send his loved ones and family lots of love and heartfelt um, condolences for the flesh that was lost and just want to recreate some more honor and reverence around the spirit that will always be here with us in Detroit. So thank you for that. And so just wanted to bring in our beloved token millennial, our sister, Brittany March. How are you, Miss Brittany? I'm doing good, Piper. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. That was really beautiful. Oh, that was really, really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, Kool-Aid. I mean, you know, he's he's actually the second brother that I lost in like a few weeks mm. to cancer. Another one of my brothers, shouts out to Kadiri Senefa Ra. Ashe. Ashe, whose celebration memorial will be this coming Friday on the 21st. Shouts out to Tracy, his beloved life mm. partner who is organizing every single thing and the rest of his family, Mickey Braden, his auntie, his grandma, his mom, all the people that were in his life, Baba Malik, mm. Yakini, who, you know, Deton Farms, Kadiri was the farm manager. Um, he's a grower, a farmer, um, youth leader, um, taught me a lot about working with youth and leading youth and listening to youth and being led by youth um, through hip hop. He's an amazing hip hop artist. He did a lot of uh, music around uplifting the community, around uplifting black folks, family, um, healthy eating. He promoted growing and farming and tilling the land and just an appreciation for the RBG and the RBG fam, the RBG movement. That means red, black, and green, um, Marcus Garvey, self-determination, black power. Um, <clears throat> and just was a really solid dude. One of my close friends, uh, we used to argue a lot in a good way. We used to be very passionate about <laughs> arguing about, you know, our philosophies. Mm. 
And um, as he did with lots of people, you know, we had G-Mac on here. That's one of his close friends. He was also part of the band Molly Wop. Um, Like I said, hip-hop artist did, you know, things around healthy eating mm-hmm. and, and hip-hop and teaching youth. And um <clears throat> wanted to honor Bryce that was here, one another one of his close brothers. And just, you know, want to honor his family, his um, two daughters that he left behind. And give lots of love to his family and all of, you know, all his families that love and appreciate him and will miss his flesh here on this earth, but will too uplift his beloved, delightful, very exciting memory um, that, that really energized and taught us all. So thank you for that life that we got a chance to experience with Kadiri Sanefara. So Ashe. Ashe. Man, fuck cancer. Seriously. I'm like, oh my God. Cancer is like killing everybody. It's unreal. It's unreal. Um, We need to do something. We need to have like, in 2019, we're going to figure this out. We're going to have like some kind of jingle Mm -hmm. where we could like push the fuck cancer button and people could just like send us emails or call us and we just be like, yeah, fuck cancer. I love it. Yeah. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Oh my goodness! Cancer is uh, it has it is not <sighs> biased at all. It has no face, none. You know, yep. it took it took my friend Jamila earlier this year. Jamila Perkins, another person, same age. Ashe, my Nataki sister. You know, took both my grandparents. Although although my dad's mom died at paren- uh what is it called? Um, uh, uh, uh pancreal cancer. Okay. And and my mom's mom actually mm-hmm. survived stomach surgery from cancer. And she used to tease me and be like, doctor say I can't eat no meat. I'm be like pipe. <laughs> <laughs> but um That's but she funny. actually made it through that. Okay. And um she actually passed of like natural causes. But mm. yeah, she had cancer in her lifetime. Pancreal cancer took my uncle, Derek, Ashe. You know what Ashe. I'm saying? Cancer took my auntie Jackie. You know what I'm saying? On my dad's side. It's like, man, fuck cancer, man. Golly. Yes. And yeah. I just got so many friends that got diagnosed with cancer that are fighting cancer. It's like, oh, it's like they just, they getting us, even when you're healthy with the food, with the air, with the stress, with the this, with the that. <sighs> it's like hard to, to determine, you know what I'm saying? Like what to do and how to fight that beast. But um, we're going to keep fighting, right, Brittany? Yes, we have no choice. You got no choice. Yes, yes. So let's, uh, Piper, you've been doing some uh, interesting things these last couple of weeks. Yeah. You got to travel again this week, correct? That's for like personal, for family, okay. for family okay. stuff. Um, but you're traveling. Yeah. You're going to be learning. Yeah, I'm going to be learning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but okay, so you wanted to talk about California. California. What you were, was that two weeks ago? Yeah, it was right now. I went to L.A., Los Angeles, L.A. I'm not, I've only I've only been to L.A. once, and it was like for like two days. Mm-hmm. I did go to like I went to Venice, Venice Beach. Okay, I went to Malibu. Okay, San Monica. That okay, okay. That. Oh, and then like the the touristy part of L.A. But Those, I haven't seen right L.A. L.A. Those yeah. are hot spots though. Great places to go. Touristy. It's cool. Touristy. You know, it's L.A. So you know what I'm saying. You don't. Tra- don't try to be up in the hood in LA. <laughs> no, I'm with it. No, 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 I got you. If you ain't from there. That's true. 
Yeah, but um, okay. So why did I go to California? I went to Los Angeles to the um, the Show Improve conference. So I definitely wanted to shout out Amani Kai. She is the founder of the Show Improve mm. conference. She did a, a phenomenal, phenomenal job mm. organizing, bringing in organizers, like bringing amazing folks together. I definitely want to shout out Mazi Mutatha. Okay. Who um, actually was able to bring us in um, through the proposal, you know, that he wrote. And we, I'll say like we, we co-wrote, but he did a lot of the initial heavy lifting on that writing. Okay. And also wanted to shout out Asheru, Gabriel okay. Asheru. I love these names. Have you ever seen the Boondocks? Yes. You know the beginning rap part? Mm-hmm. That's Asheru. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he, like he did that song. Like he, he that's he's, he's the rapper. He's the MC. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. He wrote that. Yeah. So I love that song. Isn't it cool? Yes. So he's done a lot of that's awesome. Great music. So he was. So he was one of the people that co-presenter. Gotcha. Co-presenter. Yeah. Okay. I was. So it was me, Mozzie, and Ashru. We co. Okay. We, we co-wrote this proposal and co-created this this workshop presentation. Okay. So it was cool. We did it on like spirituality and hip hop. Mm-hmm. Or like, <clears throat> you know, how do you bring your identity? And we talked about ritual and things that make you who you are, you know, and how do you bring that into your work and how do you honor that, you know? Okay. So it was a, it was a, how many days was the conference? The conference itself was like three days. Okay. And so how many people were there to listen to the presentation? Like, what was that type of setup? Like, what was the interaction like? There was probably like... Maybe a couple hundred people at the conference. Okay. And I would say for our presentation, there might probably like thirty people. Okay. In our in our in our um in our session. Okay. But that was a good group. So it was like a breakout session. They're different. Well, yes, they're they're different. So the conference is made up of different workshops and different sessions. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And so yeah, it was pretty um pretty intense. Met some great folks. Mm. Um, made some good connections. Mm-hmm. Got invited to go to do some other um, some other workshops and things. So as those contracts get signed, <laughs> then I'll be able to reveal okay. like where those things will take place. But um, yeah, it's interesting that you know all these different people in academia are studying hip hop, mm. and so it's a whole curriculum around well a genre, and it's called hip hop literacies. And so this was a hip hop literacies conference. Mm. And so literacies literally means the different aspects of the way we learn and communicate. And so um, I attended a hip hop feminism uh, session that was really interesting where I heard these different women who are professors, most of them in women and gender studies around different universities and have written papers one was from Brazil. Mm. Right now she resides in Texas, but she's a black Brazilian. And her whole paper, her whole study is on black women in hip hop in Brazil. And so the history of that, it, moving through to uh, current day. So we connected because, you know, I was like, oh, you're doing Brazilian women in hip hop. I'm doing women in hip hop. Let me get <laughs> together. But she basically broke down the history showed some, mm. talked about some different 
um, aspects and even had deeper dialogue around the language of hip hop itself is in in the Brazilian language is actually a male. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't cross over. Mm, like hip hop itself, like the word for hip hop is actually a male because, you know, in Latin languages, they're a. assigned um, genders. Though, mm-hmm. Right. And so. Yeah, so that's interesting. You would think you would think that it would be easy. Well, I mean, you yeah, you can, but it was just like a deeper, you know, trying to get deeper into that theory. Okay. Um, and so that was cool to learn about Brazilian um the history of women hip hop artists mm-hmm. in Brazil through current day. Mm-hmm. There was another woman there that talked about film, well, or like representations in film mm-hmm. and and images. And her whole thing was like on Lisa Ray and, and Insecure and the part where uh, in the beginning when Lisa Ray would be like rapping in the mirror and how they don't really do that anymore and that maybe they should bring that back. And, <laughs> and you know, and it's interesting. That's so cool. Another friend of mine was like, huh, that's a stretch to how that's women in hip hop. But for <laughs> me, I feel like Issa Ray is women in hip hop. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so maybe... I mean, well, I've never seen... It's been a while. I've, I don't think I've ever seen an image of a girl like me rapping in a mirror or rapping along... A black girl rapping along to a song. I don't even think I've seen an image. Right. And so that's important. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's just kind of what the conversation was about. That's cool. Right? Needing to have representations and what that means. Mm-hmm. And then um, another professor mm-hmm. did an entire study that she's still working on around Nicki Minaj lyrics. And so it was interesting because she looked at Nicki Minaj lyrics in terms of, well, not just Nicki Minaj lyrics, but the women who were signed to major labels. She didn't do women that had collaborations and she didn't do women that had other, what am I trying to say? That didn't have, she didn't do that and she didn't do women that had like, that were not signed to major label. So they kind of narrowed it down. And so um, she was just looking at lyrics and, and, and she basically was uplifting around, you know, the content and the meaning and was showing uh, like, what is the impact? And she was saying that in the videos, it, Nicki Minaj had a lot of women. And so therefore, uh, one would think that she was like pro woman, she said. But in in the meantime, in the lyrics themselves, it's like these bitches are my sons. You know, her lyrics are always saying these bitches are my sons. Very interesting. And that the lyrics were very all about competition and like putting women down and this whole sort of like this 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 idea of like separation of women or like hierarchy, but like. So she was saying that mm. how Nicki Minaj always says that she's pro-woman. She said, but if you listen to the lyrics, it's very anti-woman. But the imagery mm. is very, like, pro-woman. So she was, you know, she just kind of was breaking that down a little bit. What did you think about that? Yeah. Like that session? That was really cool, you know. And and the other woman, the, other, the last woman, the last professor, her whole paper was on twerking. Mm. And how that's connected to our ancestral dance and our ancestral memory and how in indigenous cultures, black indigenous cultures and African indigenous cultures, that region around the navel, 
through um, all your reproductive organs, like moving that, how that creates energy around those centers to like create health and um, the ideas of like how that's become perverted with black women. And I mean, just how like women engaging and moving that area actually like brings health to that area. Um, yeah. So there was that. And then like more healthy, more healthy, um, just having more healthy, uh, conversations around black women twerking and, and, and that kind of thing, because, um, it's been perceived that black women twerking is a bad thing when historically that's a natural movement. Um, you know, moving that goddess area and moving that goddess energy, and how that, you know, creates healthy births and just, you know, mm. overall health for the woman. So there was that. And then then there was looking at like, okay, when white women twerk, everyone's like, oh, that's really like a phenomenon. And then when black women twerk, it's considered porn. And so, um, and then she even looked up like, you know, like online, when you look at like twerking, how it's always related to like pornography. And she was saying that that in and of itself was perverse because it was basically taking our indigenous and ancestral movements and um, basically negating all of the, you know, the benefits and the beauty of like movement in, in that region. Okay. And then she also was saying how there's a phenomenon of young girls mm-hmm. who are like having whole conversations as, as twerk videos where they send the twerk videos back and forth between Africa and the U S and that, that has created some sort of like solidarity movement between young girls to send each other these like call and response and answer videos. Like they'll send a video, then they'll use the same beat and and then they'll send a video and then they'll show each other moves and then they try to like top each other. But it's kind of like this friendly sort of competition that's created like a community. Mm. And it's like this whole online community. And she was basically saying like, these are ways in which young black girls are like reclaiming their bodies. And, you know, uh, that there was a concern about that people were talking about concerns about other people looking at those girls and like what's the perversion on people's minds to like if the if that's a quote unquote like safe space for young girls to like share that sort of knowledge and then other people that are not a part of that like looking in on that. You know what I'm saying? Like, what does that mean? So it was all just like a lot of theoretical, interesting stuff. It is very interesting. <laughs> like, I would have been like fascinated. Yeah, I would have been very fascinated. Yeah, it's these are things that are like you don't like. I don't think about that deep, but that I think should be. Yeah, and so you know, and I mean, I just broke down one of the workshops. Like mm-hmm. our workshop, like I said, talked more about identity mm-hmm. and like how to bring your identity into your work. Mm. And the audience is um, really mostly academics. So a lot of people that teach in university, but then people that do mental health, Mm. people that are um, teaching mental health. Um, Like I said, like a lot of uh, sort of the university academia. Okay. Yeah. So hip hop literacies was, um, is more geared towards, you know, those folks who do those things. So 
It was really, really good. So shout out to everybody that presented. Also, too, I got a chance to meet in person. So have you ever heard of Harry Allen? Uh, Not before you sent him to me. Okay. So if you listen to Public Enemy, they shout him out. He was the, like the Minister of Information for Public Enemy. What? He's oh, a, I think he's I've a photographer. He's a historian. He's amazing. He keeps a lot of the history. Just incredible. I'm like mm. a huge fan of his. And what was crazy is after. So mm-hmm. I went to, he did a presentation. I went to his presentation. Mm-hmm. I saw his photography that he did in the studio with Public Enemy from back in the days. Was, That's so dope. It was so incredible. Beautiful, huge black oh and God. white images. And I went up to him to like ask him about his process. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Piper Carter. I was like, ah! <laughs> He's like, I'm a fan of yours on Twitter. He's like, you're a photographer. I was like, oh my God, Harry Allen, I'm a huge fan. He's like, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm That's like, That's so cool, Piper. Ah! That is awesome. I thought I was going to pass out, but I, I held it together. And he gave me a big hug, like as if we're cousins. And I was like, ah! And he even remembered me like the next day. So I was... Shouts out to Harry Allen. Yes. Number one, for just being amazing and keeping mm. the culture and teaching us and helping us like way before there was social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was one of the first people on social media too, honestly, like helping us, you know, keep that culture, but way before social media. So thank you to you mm-hmm. for that history and, you know, archiving and being that amazing and being that talented. Yeah. And then just quite an honor to actually meet you in person, you know, I hold him in very high mm. regard. You know what I mean? I respect him a lot. Mm. So that, that meant a lot. So that's that was, cool, that was a high point in my, my, my life. That is, uh, that is amazing. Especially that he knew who you were. Oh my God. I thought I was going to pass out, but I held it together though. That's so cool. I, lo- I was able to look him in the eye. I thought I wasn't going to be able to look him in the eye, <laughs> but I did. Minister, he was the minister of information. Well, wait, no, wait, no. Professor Griff was the Minister of Information for Public Enemy. I have to look up what Harry Allen's actual title, title, title is. You, but, but, but he was one of the keepers of the history so in the cool. archive. So he did a lot of the photography. He's written a lot of the history. He's kept a lot of the archives. Wow. You know, yeah. Um, That's huge. They look, they look to him for that mm. you know um so they shouted him out in the records like cool. yeah he was an important part of that's pu- cool. and is an important part of that history so but can you, can you uh like talk a little bit about your um your session and the connections you made yeah with the rituals in hip-hop like i think that is just such an awesome way to even look at it at um like and hip-hop itself yeah, so... That many of the things that mm-hmm. we do are rituals. From like the... Like I think you said one of the things is it's like when they go, when I say Piper, you say Carter. Piper, Carter. Like the call... Yeah, the, so it's like the call, call and response. Is, yeah, I love that. It's so... That's so deep. Yeah, so... Um, so long story short, we, in an effort to... Um, reclaim our culture Mm -hmm. you know we talked a lot about culture vultures and this type of thing Mm. but it's 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 in general because we and i'm going to say like black and indigenous folks that create culture we just create culture you know what i'm saying Mm. that's just what we do it's natural it comes from the most high 
or the elements or the universe or God or the universal supreme energy, you know what I'm saying? Or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. That force that, you know, is the all. And so it's so natural to us that we don't actually like chronicle our history or we don't, we don't necessarily see a value in chronicle in our history. So then what happens is we get upset when, when we're like, Oh, the white folks, you know what I'm saying? Are mm. you know, the head curator at the hip hop museum or the white folks are like, you know what I'm saying? Like able to archive and, and claim our history, like them white folks, blah, blah, blah. But part of it is that that's what they do. They look at our stuff and categorize and archive and you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Like turn things into libraries and things like that. So this is a this is a skill that like we have to learn to do. Part of it is that we just do. So a lot of times we don't even necessarily have in a even a full appreciation for what it is, right? That's being done, that's being created, because it is so natural and so easy. So, mm. and that's historically, right? So then it's like, oh, wait, someone from Europe or, you know, somewhere, you know, some white dude comes up like, that's very interesting. Mm. And then they'll be like, you know, writing up names for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, I didn't even know that. That wasn't called anything. That was just something I do. I'm and the, so yeah. sorry to digress, but I'm yeah. not digressing. I just thought about Fortnite, how all that's been popping up. Like how three people are literally in the midst of suing Fortnite for late taking their dance and labeling it and selling it on a video game. But I'm listening. So this is what happened. <laughs> and then, you know, so part of it is, you know, there's a lot of things, right? You know, it's white supremacy, is capitalism, it's yeah. culture vulture, it's colonization. It's like all of that, right? Yeah. Then there's like another part where it's like, yeah, we have to actually value our culture. Yes. We have to look at it as valuable. Yes. And I mean, so what does that mean? It's not negative either. That, like, it's not a negative thing to say like, oh, we don't value our it's just saying we need to. You know, you see what right, I'm saying? Right. But I'm listening. Yeah, I mean, and so, um, so part of what we did was um, look at what already exists. Mm-hmm. So, meaning, um, like myself, I brought up some of the work that we've been doing around Black and Brown solidarity in Detroit. Mm. That's very intentional work that's been being done, whether it's with Black and Arab communities, mm-hmm. Black and Latinx communities, Black and Indigenous communities. And so a lot of that work is very intentional work. And it's being done by East Michigan Environmental Action Council. It's being done by Bryce Detroit, Will Copeland, um, Sacramento Knox, Antonio Cosme, um, you know, just... Uh, Christy Bieber, um, just a lot of people, Michelle Martinez, um, just a lot of, you know, Consuela Lopez, Ozzy Rivera. There's a lot of people, myself, that are involved in being hyper intentional 
uh, around having conversations about black and brown solidarity. So whether it's um, doing things, doing events for Indigenous Peoples Day as opposed to Columbus Day, um, having alternative uh, Indigenous honorings as opposed to Thanksgiving, um, having conversations around different Latinx identities and issues around anti-Blackness, um, and then just some cultural literacy work, conversations, bringing folks together. So all of that. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. So all that's kind of been being done. Um, and that's what we're just doing here in Detroit. So we're doing it using hip hop and environmental justice, just transition and all these things. Right. Because we're like, yeah, like all this actually needs to be done because we're stronger together. Yes. Um, Yeah. So we'll continue to do more of that work in 2019. But um, just on a larger scale, like I said the last time with the majority, you know, this is like work that's going to be being done on a a national scale and on an international scale, Mm -hmm. like globally. So, yeah, that's something to bring taking into hip hop literacies. Mm, taking that mindset and expanding it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And so that's what we did: is looked at right, like how we're gonna move in solidarity with the build solidarity so first. Important that is that. But it's intentional work, right? It, yes, it is intentional because we we have many many years of learning anti blackness. Black folks have learned to be anti black, right? Um, so everyone, everyone's anti-black, right? Um, what does it mean, indigenous sovereignty? What does it mean in centering indigenous folks? Mm-hmm. What does it mean respecting the various identities of Latinx identities, the various identities of Asian identities, right? Like, what does it mean to intentionally respect the various identities of Arab identities? And what what do all these things mean? It means... We've got to we've got to listen to people whose culture it is, and we have to learn, like number one, what they want to be called, what their what their culture is, you know, um, learn how to have some respect for just those kind of basics, um, and then it's not that we have to be like fluent in another culture, but we should at the very least be respectful. And in order to be respectful, we don't necessarily need to even understand a culture to disrespect it. But we we would like to, especially in a place like Detroit, is this is this work has to be so intentional because the way our city is set up is not like other cities. Because in other cities, people pass each other of different identities. They work together like it's way more. This is the most racist, segregated place. One of the most racist, segregated places in in the U.S. And so um, it's just important for that work here in Detroit to be super intentional. But just nationally and globally, that work's going to have to be more intentional because in the past, the norm of white supremacy um, has been anti-blackness. And so because that's something that everyone has learned, that's something that folks got to like unlearn and like learn how to practice. You understand what I'm saying? Like doing something different. So that's kind of where that's where that's just like the framing of where like all that stuff was coming from. Um, 
And so with that, you know, it was shared. Um, Maimouni Yusuf, shouts out to Maimouni Yusuf, who is Muslim and uh, black Muslim and indigenous um, from D.C. And uh, one one of her videos was shown as well as um, Adiz Khan from Detroit, indigenous hip hop um, from Southwest Detroit, as well as Asheru. And, you know, he showed some music that he'd done, you know, um, across uh, the the country and with um, Pete Rock's brother. Okay. And who also teaches youth there in D.C. with them. And so that was really cool because he actually, they train people how to work with youth. Well, all of us do. All three of us train people how to work with youth. Um, especially using hip hop, or how to how to tr- how to people how to train people that's going to be working with youth, and like using hip hop. What like what's the well? Just blurt something out, not blurt something out, mm-hmm. but just give some give some knowledge on that about how to work with youth. Yeah, what the, so, the, the things that you that you they say are a must. Like so, in general, especially in the black community, but just in general. When people think of like working with youth, yeah, the first thing they think of like, well, these kids need to pull their pants up, and these kids, I need to, you know, I'm grown and I know everything, and I'm I'm over here on this side of life, so I need to tell these kids what to do. But really, education doesn't mean that you actually teach anyone anything. Education actually means that, means that you're drawing out the knowledge. So you have to start from the premise that uh, our beloved universal all creator god energy made all of us perfect and so none of us is going to teach any of us anything for real right we're going to support that person's learning we're going to support drawing out the knowledge or helping that person to draw out the knowledge for themselves Mm. and so what that means is ideally is that things are youth-led so the youth actually know what they need. The youth actually know what they want. Mm. But, it's, but, but you have to move your ego to the side to understand that they've come here to the planet very perfect. Mm. And many adults, especially in the black community, like that's the antithesis because we're like, we assume that, that, that valuing the elder or like uplifting the elder means to put the youth down. But that's not really what it means. It means valuing the wisdom of the elder. Right. Mm-hmm. It also means that the elder has the wisdom and the respect to honor the young person. And so, yeah, you know, it's not saying that who knows what better than whom. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just more of a respect thing. And because our young people are so disrespected, they're disrespected in our education system. They're not listened to. Their voice is not valued. They're taught to be quiet. Mm. They're taught that their thoughts aren't important. They're thought they're taught that they don't matter, and so as they go through the system, the ones who are the are the ones that were individuals and the ones who were, you know, what I would consider leaders and strong. They're shut down, right? We have punishment for those people because they're considered rebels because they're not visibly, you know, falling in line. Right. We we do things like raise your hand and t- it's your turn to talk. Right. Or mm-hmm. like 
raise your hand to go to the bathroom and things like that. Like for me personally, when I taught 11th grade, I don't make anybody raise their hand to go to no bathroom because I'm like, as a grown person, I'm not about to be in a meeting for business and be like, um, can I go to the bathroom? Like you get up and you go to the bathroom. You don't have to announce it. Everybody at the meeting doesn't need to know if you're at work. You don't tell everybody, hey, guys, got to go to the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? Like that's your personal business. So for me, if we're training young people to be adults, then we need to we need to train them now, you know, for safety reasons or you want to keep that, you know, people usually revert to safety, safety, safety. But, you know, redefine what safety means. Yes. The safe to me, safety doesn't mean more police and more security and more rules and metal detectors and arming teachers with guns and, you know, making people be under surveillance. Like that's all the stuff that makes me feel unsafe. To me, safety, if we want to make young people feel safety, number one is respect. Make people feel respected and valued. Because a lot of times people are acting out of feeling uh, uh, inval- like they're not valuable. And the, the, the most dangerous person is a person that's at the edge with their back up against the wall. You know, mm-hmm. the most dangerous person is the one that's like, I ain't got nothing to lose. <laughs> like that's that's a dangerous person. Right. Because mm-hmm. they're at the end. If a per- if a person feels that they are valued and respected. And that they matter. And 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 they can see that, you know, mm-hmm. because what they've said is reflected somewhere in the room, maybe on the walls or maybe in the plan or maybe, you know, they get a chance to weigh in. You understand what I'm saying? And that's just people. So that translates to young people. So, you know, training people to work with youth is actually retraining them to look at young people as valuable human beings and not look at them as like these young people don't know nothing and I don't like they pants sagging down and they need to learn and they need to get off these streets. And, you know, don't look at youth work like keeping youth off the streets. That's making an assumption that they're going to be in the streets. Most of the youth are not in the streets. It's only a small percentage. The media and these heightened senses of fear will have you think that like youth is in the streets. And it's not to say that there aren't youth in the streets. But the majority of youth are not in these streets. Great point. Majority of these youth are trying to go to school. They want to learn. They want to be what we would call productive members of society. They want to contribute to society. They want to be valuable, right? So for me, it's important to nurture them so that they find meaning in life, create meaningful work for themselves, and that their life has meaning to themselves and others. Yeah. Now, up from that, me personally, I always incense a still in everyone I work with, whether they're youth or adult, that they should give back to society, give back to community. Because that's just a basic philosophy of mine. So I always share that with people. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but yeah, so for me personally, I think it's important when you work with young people is that 
their voice is really important. And that doesn't mean a lot of people interpret that like, well, we're going to have all these plans and we're going to get all this money and we'll let the youth choose what color they want the bathrooms. That's not youth voice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think one time one time you, you stated to me um, that it was important not to say or look at pro- programming as if like, oh, at least, you know, this is set up so that the youth, you know, aren't on the streets or at least this is keeping kids off the streets. And you said that mentality blocks the fact that once you do have the youth off the streets, what are the things that you're supposed to be instilling in their mentalities or even having a mentality that's beyond that? That it goes beyond just saying at least they're off the streets, and sometimes it's it's a complete block. Yeah, because that that makes an assumption that if the youth weren't doing that, then they'd be on the street, mm-hmm. and that's not really true. What is true is that many of the programs and facilities for young people have been closed or canceled, so there is nowhere for young people to go and become nurtured. Now you go to where people have money and their young people, their, their philosophy is not let's keep these rich kids off the street. Exactly. Their philosophy is let's nurture these young leaders into leadership. And they're given opportunities to be taught how to lead. You know, they're given resources to lead. They're um, given access to be able to travel Mm. and connect and um, responsibilities. They're challenged. So haven't you haven't you partaked in programs where where the kids that are a part of the um, a part of the programs and things actually lead certain things? So I my they run stores or my youth program that we used to have um, our youth that was. You know, we trained them to be leaders. So they led everything. We trained them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We trained them and we support them. We guide them. But for the most part, they led everything. They let us know what it is they wanted to do. A part of that leadership also means that they have to learn about money. Mm-hmm. Where does this money come from? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, how is this money going to be raised? How much money do we need to do what it is that you want to do? How are we going to get the money to do what it is we need to do? Who needs to be paid? Who around here needs to be paid? What's a fair and livable wage? Um, what's a comparable wage, right? Mm-hmm. Within what's going on in society. What, how much is going to cost for us to make these items? How much should we sell the items for so that we can make a profit? How much, do, how much profit do we need to make so that we can stay in business and continue to do business? What are the businesses that, that um, we want to exist? What needs to happen in community? How do you see that going? You know, and it's all these types of, you know, help them understand about their civic uh, responsibility and help them uh, make choices and learn about that and participate in that. These policies um, help them learn how to train one another, help them learn how to communicate. Conf- I love that. Conflict resolution skills. Now, there is an Ann Arbor. Now, Buff One, when he came uh, in, we interviewed him. He used to be at Neutral Zone in Ann Arbor. I remember him. Shout out to Buff. Shout out to Buff. So shouts out to Neutral Zone in Ann Arbor. They actually train youth and they have youth led. Their whole program is youth led. They have a record label. That is so cool. They have a studio. They have um, a performance theater. They have other businesses. They have training. So the youth raise their own funding. These youth, these kids raise like millions of dollars, yo, for their for their <laughs> youth programming. Now they also have support of parents. And um, adults who are also raising monies with them 
And so for me, that's another huge part of um, youth development and youth programming is that parents are involved, as involved as possible, you know, all the way through. Because, like, I remember I had parents when I was working with a lot of 11th graders and, you know, when I first start working with them, I tell the kids, okay, I'm going to need your mom or your dad or your parent or grandma or your guardian's number so that I could, you know, contact them so that, you know, I could have a conversation with them since we're going to be working together. And they'd be like, my mom going to kick your ass. <laughs> I'd be like, why? And they're like, oh, because she don't want to be disturbed. And I'm like, well, give me the number anyway. So I would get the number I would call the parent on like the three-way, you know, not the three-way, but like a speakerphone with the young person. And I'll be like, hey, Mr. or Mrs., blah, 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 such and such. You know, I want you to know my name is Piper Carter. I am going to be working with your young person for this amount of time. What the hell is you calling me for? Well, um, I'm calling you because I'm going to be working with your son or daughter, um, you know, from this time to this time. Let's say it's going to be like, after school until like six or eight o'clock. And I just wanted you to know that they will be coming home late on these days. I don't give a shit. It's like, well, you know, hopefully, um, you know, I know you're busy, but hopefully moving forward, you would want to be involved in the things that we're in so that you could, you know, see what's going on. And perhaps um, there's some, there's something for you in there. Look, as long as they ain't dead, and they ain't in trouble. Don't call me. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Like, if your young person is going to be here with me, I'm going to be in contact with you. Um, I understand if you're busy or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, But I just want you to know that you're welcome to be here, to be invested and involved, because I'm going to be spending a lot of time with them. And so you might start to see some changes in their behavior and yeah, the things that I'll be working with them on and teaching them, you know, it'd be advantageous for you to be involved in that process. They'd just be like, I don't give a shit. (laughs) But I mean, some of the parents would get involved. Some of the parents would make food. Shouts out to all these parents. Some of the parents would get involved, help us learn about healthy eating. Some of us, you know, taught us about health and our bodies, about, um, you know, all these different aspects of things that unfortunately they don't teach in school. Right. Mm-hmm. And it built like a healthy familial culture. So all the parents weren't involved. Right. Obviously. But the more and more we did it, I say about 50, 60 percent, sometimes 75 percent of the parents were pretty much involved. Now, they might not have come every week or sometimes what I would do is um, we would find grant money. To pay the parents. That's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Or a lot of them volunteer for free. Many times could be to have the money. But I it's think, just, yeah, it's just a process. Have. Well, it's just a process. You know what I'm saying? Because like what has happened over the years is that we've created these institutions. Mm-hmm. And so people are used to being institutionalized. Right. Meaning that. The school has been raising your child along with TV. And so the school decides like what your child's philosophies and rearing should be and what their punishments should be. And then they tell you what they've done to your child. You understand what I'm saying? I do. Basically. Yeah. And and that throws your kid into like a conundrum of 
having unhealthy self-esteem because if your child is constantly being labeled as the bad kid, after a while, they're like, yeah, I am the bad kid. So they'll start to live into that label and they start to act in that way. If you, if we as a community learn to try to support and nurture one another so that we're not creating bad kids so that we can understand what's going on, that this person is having these challenges at younger ages. You understand what I'm saying? So that they're not consistently being treated like the bad kid and being punished. How can they be brought into a process where they have some accountability and some ownership and they feel as though they are responsible to other people? You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they have some responsibilities. That's how we help to shift and change the mindset. And when young people feel as though they have ownership, accountability, and some responsibility too, when they're being respected, when their parents are a part of that healthy process, that helps for you as an adult or an institution also not have to do discipline. Parents are right there to help do their own discipline. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that, you know what I'm saying, trying to get out of doing discipline, but... It's just important that for me, um, reinforcing family, because especially with black folks, we've been robbed of family, I feel. You know what or, I'm saying? Or again, back to what you were saying earlier, how to value it. How to value family. And, and I mean, it is difficult, too, because a lot of times our families are dealing with a lot of heavy stuff that's really unhealthy and detrimental. And bringing parents into that fold could even help. It helps those parents become more accountable and responsible, too. Yeah. I mean, think about, like, why it is just because a lot of people, a lot of, there are a lot of people in our community that don't have the traditional uh, way our society values family. Mm-hmm. So if they don't have that, then right there, they may not even value what they have, even if it's if it's fragmented to them. So then you try to get them in a group or you try to get them in school where, like, you just went through the routine and ritual of what school is, of course they're going to act out. They don't value that community. They don't value that family that that presents itself. But it's not community, though, right? Meaning— What, what I mean con- is, yeah, like, con- like the- we're calling it community, mm-hmm. but it's not actual community. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. When I first go into schools, mm-hmm. the first thing they'll say is like, you know, when I start trying to talk about community, that that word gets rejected. And young people are like, I ain't part of no community. Because the definition of community to them, when they've heard that word, it means like police in the community, drugs in the community, crime mm. in the community. When Once we start to develop a positive self-identity, I help them understand, well, the people in this classroom are our community. These pe- when you start to develop a sense of trust and a sense of self-worth and value and others are, when people are valuing themselves and others are valuing them, you understand? Mm-hmm. There's a song Donnie Hathaway has. It's called Little Ghetto Boy. You know it? I don't know it, but I've, I've heard it. Wu-Tang used it, or I think it was, was it Ghostface? One of them used it. It could be Raekwon. I can't remember, but... Uh, Basically, it speaks to that. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it speaks to the feeling of a young person coming from the so-called slums and not having a sense of value. 
you know, growing mm-hmm. up without a father um, and that impact that it has on a person and how they see themselves. But there's a line in there where he says something about once you start believing in you, then other people will see that too and start to value you, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not that other people, you know, I don't mean it to be like where people need to get validation from the outside, but it is important to acknowledge that as human beings, there is something called, you know, psychology that actually exists. And a part of that is that I believe that there's 7 billion people on the planet because we do need each other. We're interconnected. Yes. And love is very important. Mm. Love is a, is a need. Very, 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 very. And so true. when we, you know, hip hop always reinforces like, I don't need no love. I don't have no love for niggas. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's always this, you know, hoes ain't shit. You know, niggas ain't shit. You know, so it's it's it always reinforces this. Like, I don't need people. I don't need love. I don't need nobody. I'm, I'm me. I'm myself. I came up with my whole situation all by myself. And in actuality, the truth is we're all vulnerable and we all need love. Love is a oh real God, need. Yes, we are all very vulnerable. Right? We all need mm-hmm. love. We all scared. We all, you know, unconfident at times. Mm. And we all need reinforcement and we all need support and we all need love. And that's a real need. And so we're raising wolves when we, you know, just throw young people out here Um to just fend for themselves and then be like, oh, well, I don't understand what's wrong with him. He's 18. He's a grown man. He should know better. If, if a person has never been taught and nurtured into knowing integrity, discipline, respect, it, you know, where do you learn these things from? Generally, you learn them at home. But what has happened over the last mm, 30, 40 years is that the parents, the homes have been split and so that job has then been relegated to the school, which the school is mandated under the state. The state is connected to the prison industrial complex. And so literally young people are being institutionalized through whether it's the school system or the juvenile system. And so, you know, we've got to take it upon ourselves as self-determined people to reclaim our children, reclaim our youth and reclaim our culture. Because if we're looking to the state and these institutions to teach our young people values and integrity and discipline and culture and love, when I say it, it sounds crazy, right? So, this, you know what I'm saying? So, this is just, this, this I'm how I see things. I'm shaking my head, things. listeners. I'm sorry. This is how I see things. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so that's my duty that I take upon myself when I do youth work because working with young people you know, you see their pain and you feel their pain. And that's when you see people, you know what I'm saying? Like people walk around here afraid of the kids. You know, you know what one of my favorite things to do is with kids is like know what type of music they're listening to and like listen to music with them. Yeah. And watch them react to the music. Yeah. And then I know that's one of your favorite things to do too. But another thing that I think is interesting that you do is after... You probably let them play you, let them play you your their stuff. You play your stuff, which is always interesting sometimes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do that. Mm-hmm. But I think also too with that, um, adults have to be um, accepting because nobody wants somebody to tell them that what they have or what they do isn't good, right? Mm-hmm. So. 
you have to be willing to like accept the person, like you got to accept people where they are. And you have to acknowledge that like if a young person is vulnerable enough to share, especially in this day and age, to share a part of themselves with you, mm. that that's something that's, that should be very sacred and very valuable. Um, there's a lot of adults, I hate to say it, that don't take the care that's necessary to care for our young people. And we're seeing increased suicide rates. We're seeing um, just, you know, a, a, a lot of young people searching for this love and attention that I'm not saying that these things are going to necessarily, you know, cure that per se, all in one dosage, but to help create healthier more secure human beings. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. It's, it's, and, and the key is like, I'm using words like healthier, hmm. right? More secure. You because, I, you know, I we can't predict, oh, these things are going to make you healthy and secure for sure. That's it. Absolute. Boom. Because there's lots of other forces, right? Mm-hmm. Around people. They're definitely tools that you can have in your pocket. Yeah. I mean, and these are things, you know, I mean, and when we look at hip hop, hip hop is a young person's, uh, sport, if you will, it's a young person's arena. Um, we all like to, you know, be in that arena because it's it's a youthful energy that is rejuvenating, mm-hmm. and it helps to give us life. Um, people say, "Oh, you know, these kids ruin hip hop," but we have to understand that hip hop is like forty five years old, and so it has morphed into what it is now. And if we you know, look at hip hop as a larger, um, what should I say, pool, right? Then hip hop is something that's just like way bigger than just the music, the music that's on the radio, the couple of 10 songs that you hear every five minutes. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just think, you know, the more that we can teach one another to respect one another and to value one another and uplift one another, then the more that we'll be able to help nurture folks into being happier, healthier, whole human beings. You know what I'm saying? And for me, that's what, that's what I use hip hop for Mm. myself. I love that. I think that's, I think just to even have it broken down like that helps me value hip hop more mm-hmm. because it does the same thing for me. But you know, I I personally I I think I do I value hip hop in that regard. But when you when you think about um how you really just full circled all that, mm-hmm. it just makes you it ma- it just makes me want to value myself more and hip hop more. To be honest, you know, mm-hmm. I think we talked a talked a lot about it. Hip hop is. So much more than just the rap, just the top 40, just even the mainstream, just even it being it even being old. It it represents so much more. And we need to, you know, we need to give it we need to give it more imagery. The other parts of it, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes beyond the rap. Oh my god, Brittany, we've been talking for like an hour. We should probably do our next show. <laughs> Let's do it. So just for those who um 
So me and Brittany were here. We're like, huh, it's about to be the vacation. So we're uh, just full disclosure. We're going to do three shows. This was one of three shows. And we'll give you one each week. We're like pre-recording the shows because we're like, yeah, we're going to start fresh in the two, 2019. And um, yeah, we want to give you some food while you're over the break. Yes. And we want to take our break. So, yeah, um, keep listening to the Piper Carter podcast on Detroit is different. Peace. Peace. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher. Remember doing this for no fun. Time well spent. Go on and keep your refund. I'm nobody's still drum. Go on and run them reruns of different strokes for different folks. Why? Because some do it for the income. Don't do this for the money. Because trust me, I would have been done. I'm going to do this till I'm bloody and muddy. Call it my long run. Call it my ransom. Call it your anthem. Swoosh. Go in and make that and one. Just do it. Go ahead and pursue it. Chase it like it was true. Because actually is it's too many doofus with too many excuses that's why this music seems to be just making us useless we all gagging and lollying too busy pollying politricking forbidden when infants are left lying in urine and feces question where that peace be peace be too quiet too chill peace be too calm and too still because everybody nowadays got a license to ill and everybody nowadays got a license to kill 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 murder murder blood spill 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 so they serve Cold plates or cold cases And we've been waiting Putting out water for justice We wonder what the taste is Heard she was blind Never thought she was faces Never thought she was racist How come the ones who's supposed to keep us The safest they chase us They used to use some hoses But nowadays they just haze us Nothing seems to face us Reality's not reality Till it's on the stage Cause, cause We all exhibitionists Everybody's courageous Everybody's the bravest Until it's time for action We all crying out save us Crying out to God And calling all kinds of favors Do we actually believe based on our behavior the end times upon us we all gonna need a savior listen i'ma do it till this kingdom come do it till the work's done do it till it's not fun that day i'll never come do it till i see it through do it till i'm see-through phantom of my own opera no musical make visible the invisible god's point of view with it without residuals this is my cue. stay up on the real culture of detroit by tuning in to the detroit is different podcast network weekly music art business comedy and never before told stories from the people of detroit